This is um, a new friend. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Clem Ferris. Now, uh, Clem prophesied. I met Clem for the first time last year, and uh, he spoke a word over me that is actually, uh, I'm not going to give you the details, but it's actually coming to pass. It's coming to pass. I'm watching it happen uh, in these days. It's just extraordinary. And, um, and this man has, um, he's a sharp cookie. He's, he's a sharp cookie. God has worked in him and worked in him and filed him, I'm sure. And uh, he is a, uh, a prophetic Bible teacher. He will unpack the word of God to us. Uh, I've listened to this man over these last couple of days. Just open the word of God. And it's like suddenly the Bible's open and there's this great big torch shining on the words and the, they pop. I suddenly can see things that I never saw. And so, Clem, it's a delight to just yet again sit under your ministry. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Myrtle House. Welcome to Llanetli. Yeah. And uh, come on, buddy. No, just bring what, you, bring what you brung. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be here in Llanetli. Okay, not bad for an American. Not bad. Well, there's an American, you know, he landed at Heathrow, never been to the British Isles, lands at Heathrow, he's all excited. Gets off the plane, gets on the train, and here's these two ladies talking behind him. So he just turns around, all excited. Oh, are you two ladies? Are you from Scotland? They said, Wales, you fool, Wales. He said, Oh, I'm sorry, are you two Wales from Scotland? We really butcher the language sometimes, don't we? Yeah. So uh, forgive me if I... But I've been coming to the UK for 31 years. It was 31 years ago that I met Julian and Sarah Richards. Prophesied over them up in Hereford. And uh, isn't it amazing you can have friendships in the kingdom for 31 years? Yeah. Still like each other? <laughs> Haven't fallen out? Believe me, that's a treat, isn't it? Yeah. Really appreciate Bill and Ellen. And uh, we had a great weekend together, didn't we? Yeah. And a real privilege to uh, get to know them a little better and uh, bring prophetic words, um, not only to them as individually, but for the nation. We had an incredible uh, time yesterday, something I've never been challenged to do before. That's Julian and Sarah. They make you do things you're just like, I don't know if I can do that. But uh, they wanted me to prophesy into all the different regions of new wine by bringing representatives up. And Bill and Ellen, you were the representatives for the, the South. Yeah. And God was just faithful, and God spoke into the nation and all the different regions, and I was astounded just listening to God speak through me. I'm sitting there going, wow, God, wow, God, wow, God. God has great things for this nation. Yeah. You're right on the edge. As Julian said, it's like a piece. He says, we're paper thin right to the fulfillment of what God's been saying for years. He was at uh, Bless Wales the week before, and Dutch Sheets uh, prophesied about there's many prophetic words over Wales for literally decades that are about to come to pass. And we had a theme all weekend called the prophetic leader. And so that's part of why I was here because uh, this is what I've been doing for years and I, I, I have such a heart for the prophetic. It's what I do. And so this morning I want to share about prophetic fulfillment or how to steward prophecy because that's really where we're all at. If God has spoken over this great nation for years, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and yet there's, we're still waiting, then how do we wait? How do we wait and see God move? Because we want God to move, and when God says, I'm going to move, then we're sitting there going, well, 
come on, God, you said. (laughs) And we don't realize we have a huge part to play in what God says. So let's start in the book of Revelation. Did we get this working yet? Um, All right, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. This is the prologue to the book of Revelation, which is a powerfully prophetic book written by John the Revelator, and he says this, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what's written in it, for the time is near, who not only hear a word of prophecy, hear prophetic things from God, but we have to keep what we hear. That's the struggle. That's the challenge. This was so important going into this powerful book full of revelation, full of prophecy, that at the end of the book, the Holy Spirit said to John, John, remind them one more time. Now, in the epilogue, say this. Revelation 22, 7, say this, John, and just cut to the chase. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Remind them. And by the way, that was in red letters, so that was Jesus saying. I I have one more thing to say before the Bible's done in the last chapter. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of prophecy. So what does it mean to keep a word of prophecy? What does that mean? The Greek word is tereo. Say tereo. Oh, you guys are scholars now. Now I'm teaching you how to speak a strange language. Thank God the Bible wasn't written in Welsh. I could have never, I'd have never made it through seminary. Um, the word tereo has several connotations. One is, it means to watch over something so it won't be lost or stolen. Hmm. To keep means to watch over. So there's a visual aspect to God talking to us or receiving something from God. It does something to our eyes. It does something to our sight. It does something to the way we walk and look at life. Watch over something so it won't be lost or stolen. So in the secular Greek, it was also, it meant literally to ward off an enemy or ward off, they would sometimes say, a wild pack of dogs, to ward off an enemy, like, get back, get away, (laughs) shoo, because the enemy wants to take the word of the Lord from you. He wants to steal God's revelation from you. He wants to take your prophetic potential. So then it also means to bring something to fulfillment, to completion, this word tereo, to bring to action or completion. And now that's the goal. We all want the completion of the word. We want the fulfillment of the word, but we have to realize there is an action that has to take place to get to fulfillment. That's the part we don't understand. To bring something into action. God's word was designed for action. It wasn't meant to be just words in the book. It wasn't meant to be just listened to. It was meant to be activated in your life to bring it to action. So blessed are those who bring to action the words of prophecy. Bring it into action. Bring it to fulfillment. God's word is full of energy. Yeah? When God talks, it's not English. It's not Welsh. It's not Greek. It's not Hebrew. It's not Italian. When God talks, it's divine energy. Now, it pulsates out of His throne comes from heaven it pulsates down and then it comes into planet earth dimension and then we his people who have the holy spirit it's so cool to be in a pentecostal church on pentecost sunday 
What a treat. Thank you, Bill. Now, thank you for inviting me because, wow, what a treat. Because it's all about the Holy Spirit, and it's all about what the Holy Spirit came to do. Fill us, and not just sit there. (laughs) Fill us, yes, and then what? And your sons and daughters will be prophetic people. I've come to make everybody prophetic. Everybody. Not just prophets. Not just an elite group of people that are weird over in the corner of the church. Well, they're the prophetic people. Just stay away from them. They're kind of weird. No, your sons and daughters will be prophetic. So with this idea of blessed are those who keep the words of prophecy because there's an enemy, ward off the enemy, right? Bring it to action. Watch over it so it won't be lost or stolen. What's this whole relationship that prophecy has with the enemy? So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. Look at an incredible parable, the parable of the sower. I'm not going to look at the whole parable. I'm just going to make one reference to it. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives eight different parables of the kingdom. But he starts with the foundation parable, and they all build off it, which is the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word. A prophecy is the sower sowing a word. God is this master sower. He uses humans, but we then sow a word. So the sower sows the word, and then he describes all the conditions of the soil and the outcomes of all that. We know all that, right? But the, the destination of any word is what? The human heart. Those soils are the human heart. So that's the destination. So once that word gets in the heart, the devil's in trouble. He's in big trouble. Something's going to happen. Because Isaiah said, my word will not return void. It will accomplish that for which I sent it. It will. There's no reverse gear in a prophecy. There's no reverse. He says, it will not return to me. Empty. The word of God never gets discouraged. <laughs> Doesn't like, these humans are driving me crazy. God, can I come back? Can I come back to heaven? Just come back into your mouth. It's like, no, it will accomplish. Just give it time. So it will accomplish. So Jesus gives this incredible parable of the sower. He gets all done, and the disciples, like all disciples, listen, and they go, um... Could you explain what you just said? <laughs> Please explain the parable. We didn't get it the first time. How many ever get it the first time? How many of you are lying? And how many never raise your hand in church? This is a Pentecostal church. You have to raise your hands. Okay, anyway. Um, so, hear then the parable of the sower, Jesus said in Matthew 13, 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. And it was like, okay, hear it for the second time. And he lays out this incredible principle in the next verse, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and snatches away that which is sown in his heart. That's an incredible insight, Bill. You know, it's like, what? Did I just read that right? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that's a prophecy. That's anything that comes from God. Anything that comes from the king is a word of the kingdom. And it's not on planet earth. It doesn't originate in the mind of a man or a woman. It originates in the heart and mind of God. It's a word of the kingdom. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and here's the catch, and understands it not, and you go, there you go. That's my problem. I heard this prophecy. I got a prophecy. Or I read, I read the Bible. How many of you can read the Bible and get a prophecy? I have one amen from the guy that you pay to say amen. But how about the rest of you? Amen. You can read your Bible in the morning and get prophetic words. It means God breathes on his word and goes, this is for you this morning. You go, oh. And we instantly go to social media. 
this morning, and like, I already had my devotions. I don't want your devotions. I'm kidding. That's sarcastic, but you ever, does it bug you? Never mind. We love the body of Christ. Leave me alone and let me do my own devotions. But anyway, um, yeah, I got this word from God, and whoo, but I didn't understand it. I've got good news. It doesn't mean I went to Bible college. I'm a, I have a theological degree. It's not like I'm, I'm stupid. It not, has nothing to do with your level of intelligence. That word understand in the Greek is sunamai. Sunamai means this simply picture two people on the opposite sides of the room walk across and meet each other in the middle of the room and happen upon each other. That's sunamai. It means to happen upon each other. There's a convergence. They, they connect, right? It's like two streams of water coming from two different water sources, but they flow towards each other and they merge. That place where those two streams of water from two different sources come together is sunamai. What it means is when anyone hears a word from the kingdom, which is from another source than your mind or your thinking, and it comes, God says, let it merge. <laughs> let it happen upon you. Let it come into your life. Let it connect. Do you understand it? No, I haven't figured it out yet, but let it happen. <laughs> let it come upon me. I, I receive it, right? That's sunamite. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, but they don't allow the convergence, they don't let it happen upon them, which is really the parable of the sower. Don't let it get dropped into their heart. Not their head. See, it's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. It always is. Love your illustration about the tithing. That's so good. It's always a hard issue with God. He says, when that doesn't happen, then comes the wicked one. Then comes the wicked one. And what does he do? He snatches away that which is sown in the heart. That's a powerful word. Snatch away. It's the Greek word harpazo. Say harpazo. No, come on. Say it like a Welsh person with a strong. Harpazo. Podzo. Does that sound cool? Doesn't that sound authentic and authoritative? And harpazo. It's like, I'm going to take that harpazo, that word. It's almost like I'm going to harpoon or harpazo. And you think, where does the devil get the audacity that he could actually come and harpazo a word for me, my prophecy, God talking to me, words? How does he have the audacity to snatch away? That's a powerful Greek word. It means to seize by force in warfare. Do you know every prophetic word brings warfare? Every word brings warfare. Thank you very much. See, people, <laughs> I'm in a lot of meetings where people go, I, I, I'd, I'd like you to pray. I'd like, really like you to prophesy. I, I need a prophecy. I need a word. I, I, I need, I, me, me. And you're going, um. Do you realize what, every time you go, I, need, I want a prophecy, one hand's going, I want a prophecy. The other hand, invisibly, is going, I want more warfare. Please, please, God. Please, more warfare, please. <laughs> because you never get a prophecy without warfare. It's a two-for-one special that, that heaven gives to every believer, right? Always, always on sale, two-for-one. <laughs> to seize by force and warfare. He said, how could the devil have the audacity to do that? Well, he gets it from where he gets everything else from God, from the Bible. Because he's a fake, he's a phony, he's an imposter. He has nothing original. He's never originated anything. He just takes truth and twists it. 
So back two, books, or two chapters back in Matthew, Matthew eleven twelve. 12, you all know this, says the, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent ones, guess what? Harpazo. The violent ones take it by force. Now that command is to us, not the devil. That's like God's people says what? The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent ones, that's us, we take it by force. We're to harpazo, take by force in warfare, the kingdom. We're to seize the kingdom. We're to advance the kingdom. How do you do that? With words. With Same thing, with words. Yeah, we might use our feet to get out on the streets of Wales and join into mission to Wales, and we, our feet take us to the street, but guess what? If nothing comes out of your mouth, no mission to Wales. Right? you got to open your mouth and seize the kingdom by force. Now, those innocent people out there don't know it. You're forcing. <laughs> by force, you're grasping the kingdom because you're stealing darkness out of them and bringing light, and you're, you're snatching them out of the jaws of hell by what? Words. Do you know that God has an incredible plan for your life? God loves you. <laughs> Can I just tell you? And you're, you're being nice and smiling, and, but inside, you're violently snatching them out of hell and rescuing them. Yeah? How many going on mission to Wales? How many still never raise your hand in church? Get that. Get that work on that, Bill. Keep work on that. It's a Pentecostal church. It's like, I know. So let's go to 1 Timothy. And I'm stirred because Julian was on this all weekend. It was, it's one of my favorite verses. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, where Paul is teaching Timothy this very same principle. He's tutoring him. And I love what Julian said this weekend, that, that it's not just a pastoral epistle, it's a leadership epistle. He's, he's teaching him how to lead a church, a powerful church in Ephesus, and he's doing it by this very process of being prophetic. And we do need prophetic leadership. We must, what does that mean? I need to follow the Holy Spirit. I need to hear what he's saying, that's a prophecy, and then obey what he says. So watch these powerful words in this one instruction to Timothy on how to lead a church, okay? And it's now for us and how to lead a church in the 21st century. He says, Timothy, this charge I entrust to you, my son Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies that were made by you, about you. This charge I commit to you, Timothy, according to the prophecies that were spoken over you, that by them you can wage good warfare. Hmm. This charge I'm giving to you, Timothy, Paul's already in military mode, using military words, because he starts out with this charge I'm giving you, Timothy. The word charge is paragaleon in the Greek, and it means a military command given from a superior ranking officer to an inferior ranking officer. Now, Paul's not pulling rank on him, saying, hey, Timothy, I'm, I'm in charge here. I'm the general. You're the, you're the private. It wasn't that at all. He goes, I'm giving you this charge, what? Not according to me, because I'm an apostle and you're just a punk, you know, Bible college student. He says, no, according to what? The prophecies that were spoken to you. Ooh. In other words, it's not my words, Tim. <laughs> this is God. So this charge I give you, I'm turning it into a military command. Did anybody, did anybody serve in the military here? God bless you, yeah. Anybody know somebody that served in the military? 
Anybody ever heard the word military? <laughs> we're getting there. We're, getting, we're, almost, we're up to about 80%. That's pretty good. We're almost at 80% Pentecostal church. By the, we'll get there. Okay, so in the military, I never served in the natural military, but I've been in the army of the Lord 31 years, 37 years. Oh my gosh, 37 years. I'm old. Um, now in the natural military, you guys can help me out. When a superior ranking officer gives a command to an inferior ranking officer, what are the options? What are some of the responses? What could you say? Well, you could say, yes, sir, but you could think about it and think we would be unreasonable. Yeah, right. But in the end, it's, yes, sir, right? That's what I've heard. Mostly, yes, sir. The options are not good, right? Bad. So, but let me help you out. Those that never served like these guys have, they, it's like, yes, sir. But in the army of the Lord, we have options that we've created. They're beautiful. They're spiritual. They sound so good. It'll get you out of having to do things that God wants you to do. And so one of them that we've created in the army of the Lord is when God says to do this, here's a command, you go, I need to pray about that. I'll get back to you, Lord. I, I just need to go and pray about that. Or this, is, this one works right away. It's immediately you go, don't bear witness to that. That's a great command, but I'm just not feeling it. Not, don't have a witness. Nope, nope. And, you know, and so, and, oh, we dismissed the kids, didn't we? Oh, shoot. Well, there's a few kids left. Kids, let me help you out. This will really work at home. When mom says, you need to clean your room, you go, it's not, mom, sorry, don't have a witness. Today, today's not a good day. I'm not feeling it. Sorry but I'm going to go to my room and pray about it. My dirty, cluttered room. I, will go and pr- I might go up in my room and have a Bible study about that. See what, see what I'm feeling, right? Look it up in the Greek. Clean, clean your room. You know, you know in the Greek, cleaning your room. Am I helping anybody? Okay. No, Clement's getting bad. Okay, so this charge I give you, Timothy, according to the prophecies that went before on thee, that by them, what? Those prophecies... You can wage good warfare. There's only two kinds of warfare. Good and bad. I've had bad warfare. Have you? I'm going to make you do a hand exercise. We're going to, I'm going to make you stand. We're going to do Father Abraham. Had many sons. <laughs> We're going to get those arms. I'm working on them, Bill. I'm working on them. He said, Clem, come. And if you can get them to raise their hands, that's all I ask. By them you can wage good warfare. Julie unpacked that word. It's a great word. Strachuio in the Greek, and it means to put a plan into place to invade. Whoo! We call it a strategy. So we get the word strategy. To put a plan into place to invade. So you can put a plan into place, Timothy, to invade the kingdom of darkness, right? So you can wage good warfare. Warfare is the apostolic career. It deals with hardship. It deals with danger. It means to serve in a military campaign. This is all this stuff that we have no idea. We're oblivious sometimes. I just, need, I just want a prophecy. I went to church one time. Pastor goes, see that couple in the back? Yeah, he says, could, think you could get them today? I'm going, get them. Get them what? Get them takeout? Get them what? What am I getting them? You know, get them. I'm like, what's your strategy to get them? He goes, well, they just had a bad week. 
they're just having a bad week. So his, the pastoral strategy for this couple who's having warfare in their life, having a bad week, is I need you to prophesy and give them more warfare. If they're having a bad week, give them a worse week, and then they'll say, that bad week wasn't so bad. That was his strategy, I think. I don't, I don't know how pastors think. I used to be a pastor, and God delivered me. Then I got a real job. Now I travel to all these churches. I run in, and I run out. Sometimes they have me back, but not always. I'm just on the run all the time, which most pastors really want to do. But they can't. I hope you love your pastor and his wife. They, they are shepherds, and they lay their lives down more than you know. I want you to wage a good warfare, to contend with carnal inclinations. How about that for a definition of warfare? How many know now you are in warfare more than you want to admit? Because you're contending with carnal inclinations. I want to do this, but I need to do this. And now we're back with Paul in Romans 7. says, that which I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver? This is warfare. This is the warfare. The warfare is between your ears, <laughs> right? You're dealing with carnal inclinations. You're trying to execute God's apost- apostolate, what he's sending you to do. And, and yet there's warfare. Because the enemy goes, if they do that, I'm sunk. So I've got a strategy. I'm going to try to snatch away those words, snatch away those promises. I'm going to come and steal them. I'm going to create warfare, confusion. So Paul says, here's how you do it, Timothy. It's one thing to say, wage good warfare. And you go, uh, how do I do that? (laughs) Verse 19 tells you how to do that. First of all, holding faith. He says, Timothy, holding faith. You've got to hold that prophecy Even when you don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to your rational mind, you hold it because it's a word from God. You hold prophecy. Where do you hold it? Is there a tank or something? Do I have a shelf? Don't put it on a shelf. That's not holding prophecy. I have heard for years from pastors and others, Pastor, what do I do? I just got this prophecy. What do I do with it? He goes, just, just put it on the shelf, and when God's ready, when God wants it to come to pass, it'll come to pass. He'll wake you up. He'll send you a text. He'll go, hello? Yeah, what? Your prophecy just came to pass. Oh, good. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. There's no shelves. I don't see any shelves for prophecy in the Bible. You can't park a prophecy on a shelf. You hold it in faith. Now, where, what is it? That's your heart. See, your heart is the chamber of your faith. That's the chamber of faith. So where do I keep, where do I keep faith? Um, oh, it's in here. You believe in your heart and confess with your, your mouth is the organ of faith, but your heart is the chamber of faith. So Paul's saying, Timothy, hold on to that thing in your heart. Keep it in your heart. Hide it in your heart because that was the destination of the word in the beginning, right? The sower sows the word into the heart. Mary said, I got this prophecy. I, it makes no sense to me. I'm only a teenager. I don't even know a man. However, it said she, what? Held those words in her heart. See, Mary held the prophecy in her heart. Did she understand it? Absolutely not. Did she know the consequences? No way, Jose. But she held that word from God. I'm going to hold that prophecy so the enemy couldn't come and steal it out of little Mary's heart. <clears throat> Yeah. Holding faith, he said, and here's the tricky part, a good conscience. You know, a prophecy will mess with your conscience. It'll mess with your mind. 
because it messes with your carnal inclinations. Going, well, that makes no sense. Can I tell you, when God speaks to you and your first response is, well, that makes no sense, that was a true word from God. Because <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> Isaiah said it again so well. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Hello, yeah. newsflash. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are from the earth, that's the gap between my thoughts and your gap, your, your thoughts, right? Yeah. But then he uses a weather analogy. He says, but <laughs> like the rain and the snow come down from heaven and come into the earth and water it and produce something. That's how my word works. So shall my word be that comes forth out of my mouth. It shall accomplish that for which I sent it. So we got to allow God just to drop his water on us. Or sometimes, I know it's summer here, but think about maybe back in January, sometimes a prophecy comes like snow. Hmm. What's that mean? It just drops and does nothing. You know that snow doesn't water anything? Snow produces nothing except complaints. <laughs> I can't believe it's snowing. Oh, it first comes out. Oh, it's snowing. It's beautiful. Oh, I got to go shovel the dry. <laughs> it's like, no. So there's rain prophecies that water immediately. Like, oh, I feel refreshed. That was a word. I needed that. And then there's a snow prophecy. It's like, yeah, I got that word and nothing happened. It's been three months. Nothing's happened. Because it's a snow prophecy. And it will sit there and it will sit there and it will sit there until God, what? Changes the season in your life. How many know to everything there's a season? Solomon said, right? To everything, there's a season. And there's seasons when that snow prophecy suddenly melts, turns into water, and brings something out of your life you never thought was going to happen. Because during the snow season, God's working on you. During a snow season, God's forming a chamber in you, a container to fulfill that word. Because the word comes and you go, David, you're going to be a king. And then God goes, ah, not not a lot of king inside that 20-some-year-old kid. Not a lot of king but David, you're going to be a king, so that prophecy is alive, and now it's going to go to work on you. I'm going to make a king out of you. That word's going to make a king out of you. That word's going to teach you how to kill a lion and a bear and, and a Goliath, and I'm going, to, I'm going to work kingship into you with that word. Yeah? So holding faith and a good conscience. Let me explain conscience for just a minute. Conscience is an interesting word. It comes from the natural word co-science, co-science, which means two knowledges. So your conscience is a place of two knowledges. Now, where is your conscience? Hmm. We're tripartite beings. We're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Our soul has three parts, mind, will, and emotion. But our spirit also has three major functions. Our spirit has the function of fellowship. Do you know, when you really fellowship with somebody, it's not your mind fellowshipping with them. It's your spirit. So I can meet a Bill and an Ellen a couple years ago and have immediate fellowship with them. I didn't didn't know them, but we had fellowship because our spirits are fellowshipping. We're just worshiping a God you could not see, but you're fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit because He is spirit and you are spirit. It's your spirit who fellowships, right? Food helps too, but anyway... uh, (laughs) You, you, listen, you, just, you, know, you can't have a legitimate Christian function without food. You know that, right? It's illegal. It's like, where's the food? I, I'm going. You've got to have something, biscuits, something. Anyway, as the old Scotsman said, eh, tea's far too wet to have without a biscuit. Anyway. Got to have food. Anyway, that's fellowship function, Right? Intuition is another part of your spirit. Intuition is where you know when you don't know. Come on. 
That's where revelation happens, illumination. That's where the word of knowledge, the gifts of the Spirit, come out of the intuitive function of your spirit. Women have an extra large one. And we're very happy, men. We're grateful. Gets you in trouble, but in the end, it saves your bacon every time. My kids, especially my sons, sons get irritated with moms who have an extra sharp intuition. Did you uh, put that away? How did she know? Why were you late? I, I, I thought I was on. T- you were late. Get over it, boys. Get over it. They know when they don't know. They shouldn't know, but they know. Because God and your mom are on the same team. And it's not fair, but in the end, like now my adult sons say, Mom, thank you. <laughs> They'll thank you. You got that thank you? Get those thank yous when we get older. It's one of the graces of growing old. It's when your adult kids go, you know, you were right 30 years ago. <laughs> Waiting 30 years for that statement. Fellowship, intuition, and conscience. Conscience is a function of your spirit, okay? But remember, it's the place of two knowledges. So conscience is that swinging door between soul and spirit. It's where the knowledge that comes from the spirit realm, Revelation, Holy Spirit, all that, is able to swing through this door into your mind, will, emotion, inform your mind, transform your mind, Romans 12. Conscience is a huge part of how we operate every day, where knowledge flows. But it also flows the other way. It flows from the mind. The Christian mind has to be renewed so that that renewed mind now has the ability to swing into your spirit and inform your spirit. It's an amazing door. The conscience, the place of two knowledges. It is the place of agreement. Now, here's where it gets tricky. So how does the conscience function? It is the place of agreement between your concepts and your conduct. It's the place of agreement between your concepts. This is what I think. This is what I'm getting from God. I got a new concept. See, prophecy brings new concepts from God. The goal is what? Conduct, not just concepts. You can sit in church Sunday after Sunday for years and get great concepts. You know what God wants? Changed conduct. Yeah, he wants you to change your conduct. And that's the rub. (laughs) That's the rub. That's why he says holding faith in a good conscience. Why? There's also a bad conscience. You ever had your conscience bother you? I have. It's like, shut up. How many, you talk to yourself more than you talk to anybody. I have these conversations inside Clem all the time. It's like, I don't know, wait a why are you having that second piece of cake? I don't know. I just feel like having another piece of cake. He goes, well, you know, what's happening there? See, your concept of, um, hmm, I need to lose weight. I shouldn't have two pieces of cake. But my conduct has a second piece of cake. And then my conscience goes to work and goes, why are you having a second piece of cake? You know what you should be. You're on a diet. You're trying to look at All the time you sit there going, this is really good cake. Thank you. And inside you're going, you idiot. Why are you Violation. And now you have a guilty conscience. Because you violated your concepts and your conduct just went out the window. And you're sitting there smiling, eating your second piece of cake, thinking life is good. Inside, you're a mess. And that's what prophecy will do to you. It will war with you. It will war with your concepts. God says, I'm going to call you to do this. And you're going, I don't want to do that. I'm call- you need to give this much in the offering this morning. You're going, no, 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 no. 
you say the word money, I've learned this in church. If you say the word money, it gets really quiet. Because they're like, I want to leave, but I'm going to make a scene. And I'm praying he stops talking about money. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about obedience. Money and obedience, two naughty words in church. (laughs) Holding faith in a good conscience, which means what? I must allow the concepts of the kingdom, concepts from a prophecy, God informing me from the Spirit to move into my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, and eventually change my conduct, right? That's the goal. The goal is not just get a word in my heart, what? Get the word incarnate. The Word must become flesh. We need to flesh it out. It must change our conduct in the kingdom. And this is the war, everybody. This is true warfare. You know it. I know it. This is the war. Timothy, I'm giving you this command. This is why it's a military command, because if you opt out of it and you create your own options, here's what happens. Some, (laughs) by rejecting this, some By rejecting this, he's using a powerful antonym here. Some, by rejecting this, have made shipwreck of their faith. He's putting up a warning. Timothy, don't let this happen. Obey. Follow what God says. Change your conduct. Let it transform you. Put it into action. Why? Some that reject the process, reject this. They make shipwreck of their faith, not shipwreck of their house, their life. They don't have a car accident. They don't have a boat accident. You know what shipwreck is. Shipwreck, the Greek word is naogeo, where we get the word to navigate. Some rejecting this have bad navigation. (laughs) It messes up the GPS, gets all out of kilter, right? They, They don't know how to navigate by faith anymore. And then they rely on the flesh. And then they get into fear. And then they make mistakes. And then they go, I need another prophecy. And you're going, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. They think they do. They think, well, I didn't like that word. That word didn't work. So I need something else. You go, you need to understand this. They've made shipwreck of their faith. Ooh, we got to get moving here. So let me help you. The prophetic always involves a process. Absolutely. If you don't write anything else down, or if you never write anything down, Have your friend write this down for you. The prophetic always involves a process. God is way more into process than anything else. God's not into perfection. He's completely into process. So number one, if you don't engage in the process, you'll never reach the destination. You've got to have a heart that says, whatever God says, I'm going to engage. So if God says something, for instance, like, I see you have the heart to go like a missionary. There's going to, I see missions in you. I see you going to another land. And you're sitting there. You've got to have a, a heart to say, I never even thought about leaving Wales, let alone <laughs> anywhere else. Like, wow, really? Oh, hmm. And inside, you've got to start engaging. Okay, so and it starts a journey of inquiry. That's the next thing. The prophetic is not just a delivery of a singular word to a person. It is now what? A journey. It's a process, what we call inquiry. Lots of questions. Lots and lots of questions. Well, what does that mean? Well, God, what do I have to do? Why? I, I, you may, something like, God may say, uh, I, why don't you get a passport? That'd be a good start. That's something I know I can do, right? 
How do I engage in a prophecy that says I'm going to go to the nations and I don't have a passport? It might be good to at least start with a passport, right? And these are just simple things. But see, the, the journey of inquiry is asking God lots of questions. What's it look like? What do I need to pick up? What do I let go of? How do I need to change? What should I study? What should I refrain from? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, what kind of things are going to change in my life? Thirdly, what begins as insight to the future, which is what we want. We love prophecy. Why? It gives us, it's like, it's like, but it's not like Christian fortune telling. When we go to Asia, we have to teach on that all the time because Asians, the culture of Asia, most Asian cultures grew up, it's steeped in fortune telling. It's a big part of their culture. And we had to teach and teach and teach and teach in Taiwan and China that prophecy is not Christian fortune telling, right? I mean, God knows the future, but it's not fortune telling. A fortune teller will tell you what you want to hear. When God speaks, he tells you what he wants you to hear. And it's not always what we want to hear, but that's why it's prophecy. It has insight to the future, but it has to eventualize itself into action at some point. There must be action, and that action comes in you. It comes in your personal dealings and your personal structures, your habits. God is going to change something in your life, guaranteed. You say guaranteed that way in Wales? That's a Louisiana South. See, I'm going to teach you a little American culture down in Louisiana, down in the bio down there. They talk like this, and they say the guaranteed. A guaranteed. That's how they're going to do. That's Cajun. We blame the French for that. Any French people, we love you. Um, but So, you ready for this? I'm going to just leave this quickly with you. And you need to unpack it, spend some time, maybe do, discuss it in a small group. But here's five battlefields of the prophetic, because there will be battles. Some of you have already had good battles, <laughs> good warfare. And there's more to come. What we just prophesied over Wales, we also prophesied big stuff over this region that had to do with what? Warfare. warfare. Yeah. Big word. When the time's right, they're going to share the word of the Lord over this region of Wales as a bastion of battle training for spiritual warfare. Right here in, this, in the swans of God's setting up, oh, I'm getting chills. Whew, God's setting up powerful war colleges. They're going to come out of the south of Wales, not only for this nation, but for other nations. Powerful times of prayer. Prayer is the whole, prayer and the prophetic are just, the two mechanisms of prayer and warfare by the Spirit, they're going to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. And see, it's not just like, oh, we had a great prayer meeting. Like, we, took, we brought down the strongholds. We killed the prince of the power of the air. We bound this, and, we did, and you walk out and go have a cup of tea. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not just like we had a great prayer meeting. It's like we're putting into action battle plans. We're going to invade that city. It's not like we walked around the city like Joshua did Jericho, and now we took the city. No, you didn't. Nothing's changed. Did you talk to anybody? <laughs> right? I'm, I, I'm sorry. I get cynical because there's some things they call spiritual warfare. It's just a bunch of nonsense. It fulfills, it fulfills the need to do warfare, but there's no bullets in the gun. <laughs> you know? There's no bullets coming out and no action. There's no soldiers on the field. It's all done in a closed room. And everybody walks out patting each other on the back. Oh, that was powerful, brother. Yeah, that was great. Oh, yeah, we really, nothing changes in the city. <laughs> Nobody's getting saved. Nobody heard the gospel. Come on. This is, what, this is what Missions of Wales is doing that I don't know anywhere else they're doing it. 
You need to understand where you are on God's timetable and what's happening in this nation that is unprecedented. The only place I know that's going, at least in the Middle East, it's going strong. And you never know, you don't know. Why? Because it's all underground. Listen, you've got the privilege of being above ground. But there's underground moves of God going on nobody knows about. In Afghanistan, powerful move in the underground church in Afghanistan. Thousands coming to Christ. Why don't I read about it? Because they would die. Seriously. If they found out, they'd go in and kill them. They do. I have a friend of mine in Virginia. He has run ministries, reaching unreached nations, run ministries. Last year, year before last, working in the Middle East, nine members of his team martyred. Nine members of his personal team martyred. Oh, this is a price to pay everybody. Thank God all you have to do is go to the streets of Wales and share Christ. No guns. Sorry, that was a little heavy, but it's true. If we don't understand what's going on in the world, if we're not global in our thinking, we become unprophetic. So five battlefields of the prophetic, and I'll let you go real quick. I'm just going to take you through them quickly. But first is the battlefield of delay, because every prophetic word has its own time sequence. And God holds the key to that, okay? Because God, if God in His mercy doesn't tell you always how, when, and where, because then you'd either freak out or you'd run, <laughs> right? So you have to know that every day of delay is not denial. It's a day of preparation where God's preparing, a.k.a. Abraham. Abraham had a strong battlefield of delay when he says, you're, fi- you are, you are going to be parents, you're going to have a baby. 25 years later, 25 years later, hey, you know what? You're going to be a dad. It's probably going to be a few years. See, I could prophesy over that young man. But he's not going to, hey, everybody, I'm, we're going to, I'm going to have a baby. Are you married yet? No, but no, it wasn't like they had to prepare, prepare, prepare. Faith, because he was not just a father of a baby, he became the father of faith. So God took years <laughs> to forge faith in Abraham, and the prophetic did warfare. It forged something. It built something in him. The prophetic builds. It is a building mechanism. It delivers the mind of God to humans. So we think like he thinks. Abraham had to learn how to think like God, not like Abraham. Sorry. Here we go. <laughs> Keep going here. Every one of these are a good topic. The battlefield of no recognition. Yeah. Why? Do you hear my great word? They prophesied over me last night in the meeting. I'm going to be a leader. Leader. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's why I came to this church. I knew I had a leadership call. I'm going to be a leader. Pastor, when do you want me to start leading? What do you want me to lead next week? Um, you know, brother, um, we've got leadership training on Tuesday nights starting at 7 o'clock. You need to come to our leadership training class. When? Tuesday. What time? 7. Uh, that's my bowling night. Sorry. Can't make it. See, God starts working on priorities, rearranging things. Well, you want to be a leader? Can you submit? Well, not this week. So anyway. That's a battlefield. See, where's the battle? Right here. Right here. Battle of no recognition. Reference Mordecai. We'll go into that later. Third one, the battlefield of misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Unlike Sunamai, where you're trying to work it out, you misunderstand. It brings confusion. The problem is usually too many voices. Because remember, if God talks to you, He talks to you. If you get a word from God... It's a word from God to you. Get counsel, get pastoral input, 
but don't start buzzing around all your charismatic friends getting 900 interpretations to what they think when God says, why don't you come to me? Right? You get a letter in the post. They still deliver letters over here? Yeah. Occasionally. <laughs> We're just about done. All I get is junk. And I, I, I go to the mail. But I could actually probably take most of the mail and just go right to the bin. But anyway, you get a letter in the mail, you open it up, you're walking, you're literally so excited because you're walking back to your house, and you're starting to read the letter, and you stop, and you go, whoo, and you see the postman down the road. You go, excuse me, excuse me, uh, postman, yeah, c- just come here a minute. He comes over and goes, what's wrong, what's wrong? He goes, I just got this letter from my sister, and she just said, I don't understand what she means by this. Can you explain this to me because you just delivered this letter, and, I'd, and the guy would be going, lady, you are nuts. I didn't write the letter. I just delivered it. Hello? Go ask your sister. She wrote it. So don't go to everybody else. Don't go to the delivery man. Go to the author. God, what did you mean? A prophetic word should immediately send you right back to God. That's his goal. Hello, come spend time with me. Spend time with me. I want to explain. I want to have intimacy. I want a conversation with you. That's God's goal. So there's a battle of misunderstanding. There's a battle of doubt, very much like the battle of delay where you begin to doubt what God said. The writer of Hebrews said it perfectly. The word proclaimed did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. You've got to mix every word with faith. And then finally, I'm rushing, but I'm sorry, but um, you can unpack all these. The last one is the battlefield of the prophetic crisis. Don't we love that word? Brother, just preach a good crisis Sunday, will you? Preach us into crisis, please. Well, crisis is here to stay. The world's going crazy in America and Britain and other parts of the world. I'm going to South Africa Tuesday. It's going crazy down. It's going crazy everywhere. Crisis is here to stay. Why? Because it's going to bring us to the finish. That's another message, but understand, don't get messed up when crisis hits. It's God's sign that he's doing something in the spirit. And the church rises up in crisis. We become strong. We thrive, and people run to us. They're going to be running to the churches of Wales when crisis hits, they'll be running and goes, does anybody know what's going on? And you go, we do. There's a king. His name is Jesus. And he's coming back. Come join us. <laughs> right? Come on. That's the movement. That's the movement. So the prophetic crisis is just, let me explain real quick. And we'll let you go. Um, in, um, let's see, it's Psalm 18, verse 30, Proverbs 30, verse 5. It's the same thing. It says, as for God's word, it is pure. And that sounds like, oh, yes, God's word, it's so pure. Oh, you don't understand the action in that. The action is this. As for God's word, it is purified or purifying, which means when God puts a word in you, it starts the purification process, which in the Old Testament, that word meant to put something in a fiery, hot, smelting furnace, where they take raw ore out of the ground, put it in a smelting furnace, crank up the heat, and that thing would start melting down, melting down, melting down. All the impurities would rise, rise, rise. And then they'd scrape off the impurities and find something pure. You didn't realize that that's that's what goes on in your life when you get a word from God. (laughs) God takes you and throws you in this furnace, you raw thing. (sighs) I got a word from God. Angels, yeah, throw them in the furnace. (laughs) God's word purified. Throw them in. We go in and say, you know, my life was great until I got that prophecy. And then all hell broke loose. Everything, I had a meltdown. Yeah, perfect, great. Pastor goes, pray, great, praying for you. Pray me out of the furnace. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't pray you out of the furnace. Not when God's word is in there purifying you. Sometimes you're praying for the pastor to get you out of the furnace. And he goes, can't. Sorry, illegal. God slashed my hand. (laughs) 
ask for God's word, it will put you in crisis. It will purify you. All those impurities start coming out that you thought were long gone. I hadn't thought that in a long time. A word comes out of me, I go, I haven't cursed in six years now. I just, ah. <laughs> that was one, one curse word is still resident down in you. You didn't know it. And God said, I'm going to get that out. I'm going to throw you in the furnace. Impurities come out. You become a better husband, a better wife, a better. Things get better because you've been in the furnace of crisis. Because God always has a plan to purify you, make us more Christ-like. This is what the Word of God does. See, these are the things around the prophetic. Nobody has a clue. We just want fortune-telling. Really, in the body of Christ, we just give me a fortune, tell my fortune, and it better be good. And here's the worst thing. They pay fortune-tellers. We have to do it for free. I'm kidding. Um, Kidding. Sorry. Purify, Ferris. Throw him in the fire next week. Please, next week, not this week, God. Anyway. Oh, I'm getting on an airplane. That's like going in the furnace. Real quick, why does, why does God test us? What's the benefit of a crisis, of a testing? It makes you overcomer, right? It, it validates you heard from God. Yeah. I don't know if that was God or not. How's your life? Terrible. It was God. I'm saying that for see, You know what I'm saying? I, I've, got, I've got issues now. I've got crisis. That's because God's at work, okay? And it purifies your motives. Peter, ask, oh, Pete knew. Pete got some great prophecies. Thou art Peter upon this rock. I will build my church. Yes, I'm talking about disciples. Hey, boys, did you hear my prophecy? Yeah. Oh, also, what? You'll deny me three times. Um, don't like that prophecy. But boy, did it purify Peter. He came out pure. And so he writes about it in his epistle. The trying of your faith is like purified gold. Precious, that word precious, purified gold. Peter had gold faith. By the time he stood on this day, the day of Pentecost, he stood up a purified man. Perfect? No, but purified because he went through the fire. So let me give you Peter's closing words. 1 Peter 5.10, the last chapter of his first epistle. Peter the purified. Peter the Pentecostal preacher, full of the Holy Spirit, full of prophecy. He said this, 1 Peter 5.10, And after you've suffered a little while, (laughs) he's like, would this guy just let us go? He brings me up, and then he drops me down like a rock. Okay, I'm going to bring you up. Ready? After you've suffered a while, Peter knew suffering. Listen, the kingdom of God was built on suffering. Our Savior suffered. We get to know the fellowship of his sufferings, but there will be suffering in the kingdom. And Peter said this, but after you've suffered a while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, that's the goal, that's where we're going, we're going into Christ, watch, will himself, four things, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter testifies what prophecy did in his life. He'll restore anything that is taken, God says, that, by the way, that word restore is the word for equipping, equipping of the saints. He'll equip you. See, you get a prophecy and God says, now I'm going to equip you. I'm going to work on you. I'm going to... He'll restore. He will confirm. Wow, he'll confirm. That means make solid as a rock. He will strengthen you. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll in, empower you to do things you could never do before. Fill you with strength, and it will settle you down. He'll establish you. Sometimes a prophecy will keep you in a church you don't want to be in. And may I also say, sometimes it'll send you out when you don't want to go. <laughs> See, God will establish you what, where he wants you. 
And it's a soothing word to pastors because I've been through the pain of somebody leaving. We all hate it. Unless they're that certain person we've been praying would leave. I'm kidding. They never do that. Your pastor would never do that. It's painful when people go. And sometimes it's painful when they come. But I'm just saying, God will establish. Said, I will establish, Peter said. God will establish the people of God where he wants them. You are now established in Wales for right now. Because God has a plan for Wales. He says, to him, he closes with these words, to him be dominion forever. So, folks, we're not playing games. If you've got a prophecy, and I'm sure many of you have had a prophetic word, maybe in your small group, sometime in your Christian walk, you've had a prophetic word. It would be a good time to go back and visit that. The New Wine Apostolic Team, I, these guys, they, they, I just like, I'm in awe of what they are doing. Because when I prophesied over them two years ago, and you were in that meeting, God was giving prophetic words to the apostolic team. They started unpacking those things. They've been working on it for two years. What? Developing a strategy for whales. These guys are serious about prophecy. Yeah, there's warfare. Yeah, there's things. But God's at work in Wales because God has spoken. But we just can't sit back and go, oh, hurry up, Bill and Ellen. Get this church going, will you? Like, By the way, you need to go to two services. You're full. You're too full. I'm being kind, but I'm being forthright. You are too full. Somebody peeks in and goes, eh, they're too full. Seriously, sociologically, people look at things, and that's how they, like, no, there's no room for me. That has nothing to do with how good the preaching is, and the worship's wonderful here, and you're nice people, and you have great coffee, but there's sociological implications. They go, ah, there's just no no place to park. Oh, 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 they're full. There's no place to sit. People are weird. But they need to know those things. If you can't deal with those sociological issues, you can't get to the spiritual issues. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the inside. But give him a chance. I love you, but you're going to grow. But right now, I'm telling you, I've studied church growth for years. And we've been growing. Our church has been growing. My pastor took over 15 years ago. We went from 300 to 1,300. We didn't get it overnight. But you know what? He studied church growth. And the thing that always caused us to grow is when we made more room. Every time we plateaued in our attendance, every time we plateaued, we had to add a service. Up until two years ago, we just built a brand new uh, worship center onto our existing building. But up before that, we were running four Sunday morning services for three and a half, four years. We just about killed everybody. That would have made more room. But that was the goal. (laughs) And my my youngest son was on the worship team. They got there at 6.30 in the morning, and they left at 2.30 in the afternoon. They did four services live. It was sacrifice. After you've suffered a while... (laughs) But every time we added a service, we grew. Then we'd peak. Ah, third service. Got to add a fourth service. Ah, killed us. We had to. We grew. And then we went to our capital campaign. And then we built a new building. And guess what? We grew. Why? We created space for more people. God sees your heart. You say, God, we're going to open up and make more space. You know what we love to do on social media? We're so full. Oh, look at it. We're so full. And you know what that sends a message? There's no room for anybody else. Might as well put a sign on the door, closed, go to hell. <laughs> Sorry, closed, no room, go to hell. That's yeah. yeah. harsh, I know, but you know, what are we, what are we, what's our message to the city? Yeah. Our message is, there's room for you. We've got plenty of room. We have two services. We have great children's ministry. Come on, you're going to love it. We love it. You know, that message, like, mm. visitors are weird people. How many visitors this morning? Please raise your hand. <laughs> Please stand up and we're going to, no, I'm kidding. I, I'm a visitor, listen, I'm a visitor 50 weeks out of the year. 
I might be the guest minister, but I come in and I'm, I'm creeping out going, um, where do I sit? What do I do? Where are the toilets? All these invisible, unspoken things running in a visitor's head. Uh, are they going to judge me? Are they gonna, am I dressed okay? I, 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 I. And so you've got to remove all that. Remove all the obstacles for them to have a great experience when they walk in the door. You know? I'm sorry. I'm getting into church growth okay. principles. But I, be, I just want to say prophetically, I'm being honest, brother, you need, you're too full. Now, if either, either knock the wall out and double the size of the room, but the easiest way to do it without spending money is just go to two services. It doesn't cost a whole lot. A little extra coffee and a little extra sacrifice on your part because you know what? This Sunday morning experience is not for you. It's for them that have never heard. It's for them. When you come to church going, it's for them, you suddenly get out of that selfish, like, oh, I didn't get my I, 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 my, I, my, I pay my country club fees and I didn't get to play my game. No, this is not a country club. This is the church. Please send this American out of here quick, Bill. Okay. I heard that prayer. I heard it and I will obey. But I love you. I love Wales. I've been coming to Wales for 31 years. You have a great facility. You have great leaders. Something's happening in Wales. You've got to create space. People are going to come to Christ. Mission to Wales is coming in a few weeks. Where are they going to go? Once you lead them in that prayer, where are they going to go? Come here. Come to Elam. We got room for you. Like, I heard you're really full and suddenly you have to, and I have to sit in the back. God forbid I have to sit up front, right? This is the, only the leaders sit up here because it costs more to sit up here. It's like an airplane. It's like first class. That guy brought me a drink. I, I don't know if you noticed that. I sat down and go, sir, would you like a glass of water? Thank you. I'll have some nuts and uh, put, a, put on a movie while I'm waiting. Um, <laughs> create space. This church is going to grow, but you've got to make space. You've got to make space physically, and you've got to make space in here for new people. It's going to mess up your little clique. I see some of you frowning already. You know, cliques are not bad unless you're not in it. (laughs) Never mind. It's going to bust up some of your nice little clicks, and you may not be able to sing happy birthday to everybody because you don't know everybody. And then somebody's going to get offended and go, like, sing happy birthday to these. So but tomorrow's my birthday. I'm, I'm, hopefully, I'll get a text or something. You see what I'm saying? See, you've got to think larger. Yes. Think bigger. Yes. Think, think like a, a 500-member church. This could be three, four, 500. Easy. With this facility. Yeah. Oh, what God's going to do in Wales is bursting in me. That's the trouble when you go to these conferences, man. God just fills you up, right? So uh, let me bless you. Father, thank you for this expression of your heart of love to this great city and to this nation. And God, move upon them. Help them to wage good warfare with the prophecies. Cause them to be men and women of action. Put into action the things that God has spoken. God, help them now prepare As Joshua walked through the troops in Joshua 1, he said, prepare yourselves. Make preparations. I speak and prophesy that this house must make preparations for growth, must make preparations in their minds, have meetings, have strategy sessions. What will it look like? How do we do two services? What's it going to take? Have meetings. Talk about it. Strategize. Make a plan to invade the city with the word of the Lord. And God will bring it to pass. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Can you say amen? amen. Okay, last thing. It's Pentecost Sunday. Everybody raise your hands. Yeah, Make on. Jesus happy. Make the Holy Spirit happy. Woo! Look, they're a hand-raising towards glory. We did it. We did it. Come on, we did it. Come on, man.